0: Good morning, everyone. This is Austin Jardine. Welcome to the Vanguard Project. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome. This podcast focuses on sharing stories of people living their passions. We spend time understanding who they are, what they've done to get to where they're at, and helping us understand what has helped them become successful in their field. The goal of the show is to relate to you, the listener, with the hope of inspiring you to get after something new or motivate you to get after something you love. With me today is someone I am really excited to share with you. It's actually the first time we've spoken, and uh, we were actually introduced briefly through a mutual friend, and leading into this conversation, I did a little bit of research on who he is, his business, the tactics, and overall presence. Uh, with that being said, I'm uh, really pleased to introduce to you Mr. Rick Crawley of Achilles Heel Tactical. Uh, we talked a little bit prior, and uh, he's really excited to share his knowledge and experience in bridging the gap for the individual retiring from the military, law enforcement, uh, and taking the next steps in life. So, Rick, man, I appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing?
1: Good, man. I appreciate you having me. Totally. So
0: you started Achilles heel tactical not that long ago. You know, before maybe we get into really who you are, what you're doing, do you mind just giving an introduction of yourself, what you're about? And I'll uh, I'll interrupt you as we go.
1: Yeah, man. So um, I'm a husband, a father of two I am a Marine Corps veteran, law enforcement officer um, who just separated from law enforcement, entrepreneur, and heart attack survivor.
0: A little bit of everything and a gun ninja.
1: (laughs) Gun ninja, yeah.
0: So we talked about uh, it a little bit. And what you really want to share is your experiences and the things that you've learned Um, you know, throughout your military experience, law enforcement experience, not necessarily focusing on what you did so much as how to help folks in a similar situation, make the most of life in whatever transitions that they're making. Um, So if you don't mind just start starting off with, you know, what you learned throughout the Marine Corps and, you know, maybe building up into law enforcement and I'll, I'll interrupt you as we go.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in the Marine Corps, I got out of the Marine Corps after three tours in 2017 as a scout sniper. I was a team leader in 1 3 State Platoon out there in Hawaii. Shout out to my lava dogs. You know, I had uh, my wife out there, my kids, and, you know, that's, I guess, where this story starts, man. Marine Corps was an awesome experience. It was, uh, you know, I was a kid growing up, get, go, growing up through high school playing, you know, high school sports. Realized very quickly that with college being shoved down my throat, I guess I'm going to college and never really gave the military side of house kind of the light of day. <clears throat> and then I went to a, you know, a college, I decided college was not for me very, very quickly. Uh, met a recruiter, fell with, fell for all the lies the Marine Corps recruiter wanted to shove down my throat <laughs> and went into the the Marine Corps as a infantryman. Yeah. After five years in the Marine Corps, I separated due to on my third deployment my daughter laid on my deployment bag and begged me not to leave and like I said before I you know I could leave my family I could leave my wife but leaving my little girl was the hardest thing I've ever had to do and I promised her I would never do it again so yeah that third deployment we found out that we were pregnant with my my son so I kept I held true to that promise never did it again and looked for a way out so when I was looking for that way out um I looked into law enforcement I remember telling with telling my buddies and and everyone in the in the team i was like dude screw that job cop that cop job looks ridiculous or it looks hard and they were like you know we can do we can do the swat gig well swat you know takes some time you know on the beat to kind of learn the job and i was like maybe two years i'll be on swat and whatnot so yeah i'll just go that route so i applied for a police academy while i was still in the marine corps and uh got accepted to the police academy at kent state university when i separated from the marine corps in january of 2017 i decided hey I'm going to go this route, and from that route, went into the police academy. Um, used the GI Bill to get me through that, so that I never missed a paycheck and was able to provide for my family. And then we, uh, you know, while I was in the police academy, I was just hoping and praying that you know I would get hired by an agency. So I ended up getting hired by an agency that actually was uh, very beneficial to my future because while I was in the police academy, I started Achilles Seal Tactical. Um, I really found that I love shooting. I wanted to continue shooting outside of you know the infantry and the scout sniper community. I really wanted to continue that that craft, but realized now that I'm no longer on Uncle Sam's budget. I now had to afford that. So I was like, well, how do I afford it? Well, I guess I could trade. I guess I could trade my knowledge and experience that I could provide to an everyday citizen or or cop or you know former LE guy or former uh, military guy and you know, make, I guess, ends meet as far as, you know, continuing this hobby. So I started Achilles Seal tactical. And I remember linking up with, you know, a local range that was just starting up. And I was like, Hey, for, you know, how much would you charge me to run a course? And they gave me the number. And I said, well, okay, what am I going to charge these people? And how am I going to advertise? And how am I going to do this? So I was like, well, I guess I'll, you know, start, Googling stuff and setting up a social media accounts. So that's the only free way I can market my business. And so I did all that. And I remember my first courses I ever put out was called Achilles Tactics Open Range Days or Achilles Tac, yeah, Achilles Tactics Open Range Days. For $40 a head, you could come and for four hours I would teach you whatever the heck I was going to teach you that day. And I just really wanted to kind of see if I had a niche for it, if I really liked it, I enjoyed it. Uh, and see if the passion was there, as well as just see if I could provide value into people's lives. Shortly going through the police academy while starting Achilles heel tactical, I got picked up by a, an agency. And like I said, it was very conducive to my future. That agency looked at my experience in, in the military, which does not happen often. Most large agencies with cities and states don't look at your military experience, or even taken into an account for job placement. If you're going to be a cop, you're going to be a cop. They can teach a monkey to be a cop, but it's about passing backgrounds and, you know, gaining experience, which I definitely underestimated in law enforcement. So I got with my agency in 2017, August of 2017, and really kind of just focused on learning how to be a cop. It was very difficult at first. It was like, you know, hey, overseas, A plus B equals C. They don't look like you. They don't speak like you. And then C is kind of what you choose to do or how you choose to handle a situation. When your knowledge of that situation is kind of thrown in front of you with either intel or like I said, he doesn't speak like you, he doesn't speak like you, or he doesn't look like you, he doesn't speak like you, easy. But in law enforcement, you know, it's a it's a crazy to, it's, there's no other occupation like it where it's very diverse as far as everyone looks like you, everyone speaks like you. They know what's, you know, coming over the radio. They can hear it. I didn't realize how many drug dealers and criminals had scanners and could listen to my transmissions prior to me even arriving on scene. And it was kind of a, it was very weird. And I remember when um, I had dealt with an, an individual multiple times and had no issues actually had rapport with the guy and, you know, it was, you know, just another crime he had committed. I was going to deal with, um, you know, th- at that moment with this specific situation uh, you know, no issues camaraderie or I had rapport with this guy. And, you know, next thing I know I'm, I have a gun being pulled on me. And I was just like, that's it. You know, this is, this is truly where I find or how I, I guess this is truly where I kind of separate the two and I need t- to let other veterans and guys that come into law enforcement with a chip on their shoulder to kind of understand that the environment and the tactics used are, they are completely different, you know, um, over spe- overseas, you know, the trash that was taught, you know, speed, surprise, violence of action, that's all well and good, but, understanding the experience of these law enforcement officers, these SWAT guys who have experience doing narcotic search warrants and the mentality behind, we're not going to be, you know, use speed. We're going to be violent, but we're going to be decisive with that violence. We're going to keep the terms on our terms and not speed, surprise, violence of action. And then somebody goes in there, gets shot for dope. You know, that was kind of a big thing put in perspective for me was, hey, the fundamentals of CQB and in, in the military are this. Well, they're, they're not in law enforcement and understand the two missions are separate. And understanding those two missions really made me kind of mature. It also made me a more well-rounded kind of sit back and be a trained observer like I was in the, in the Marine Corps, but wanted to be, you know, all I could be in law enforcement. But short, uh, long story short, I became, you know, my agency after a year and a half with my agency sent me to Uh, the state certifying firearms instructor school. And I went through that training for a month. Um, That training, you know, covered everything from pistol revolver, shotgun, rifle, full auto, whatever, and submachine gun. So that was pretty cool to go through all those uh, qualifications or get certified for all those qualifications. Um, But what they didn't tell me, or my agency didn't know, is the fact that I couldn't, you know, actually qualify anyone in my department. So I had three active duty years in law enforcement. So time went by. And in year two, I ended up getting selected for the SWAT team and did some missions with SWAT and FBI and stuff like that. And it was, it was fun while it lasted, understanding the two mission sets, you know, being completely different. And then also, I guess not ever seeing the political side of, you know, war that was kind of a new thing is seeing the political side of enacting search warrants or getting search warrants to be approved by a judge and taking people's fourth and fifth amendment rights away. But then after you get a search warrant, that's been approved by a judge, how much politics still play into the execution of that search warrant, such as, you know, time of day that we execute this search warrant. Now we're not going to do it at night. Um, the different tactics that, you know, tactics aside, you know, if an, you know, an adjacent is being in a pursuit and being shot at, I've never seen, I've never seen, I guess, in the military where you wouldn't mutually aid that agency or that entity that you're the, out there to support. Instead, the, you know, in law enforcement, it's like, ah, I don't want to make the decision. I'm going to stay hands off. And then if I stay hands off and don't want to make a decision, my guys are basically out there like, what is going on? Why can't we go? Why can't we assist, you know, this agency? Um, so that's kind of, that was kind of an eye opener too. And there's the, one of the biggest things that I, this, just just not, I did not like about law enforcement. It would, it disgusted me quite frank on um, the fact that there were, you know, law enforcement officers in distress and needed help, but couldn't get help because we weren't allowed to leave the city or we weren't allowed to leave the jurisdiction, you know, because it was, a, you know, a joint jurisdiction, you know, um, pursuit or search warrant or whatever we were doing at the time. So it's, it's a lot to understand. And I understand that that was way above my pay grade, but, you know, on this side of house from the military and, you know, from doing my business, I got to meet a lot of great law enforcement officers and in law enforcement, I knew it's a very, very common Misconcepted thing that law enforcement officers are great shooters and law enforcement officers can be instructors and then military guys are great shooters and military guys are or military guys are great instructors great shooters and that's completely false you know by me being in the military that did not make me a, a good instructor by going to law enforcement firearms instructor school that did not teach me a thing about being an instructor you either have it you either love to provide value into people's lives and you love to show them and educate them in the ways that, you know, the seven fundamentals, it doesn't change regardless of what weapon system we're, we're running here. The seven fundamentals, like how your approach and your presentation of, you know, what you know and how good you're, you are at articulating it to transfer that knowledge that's in your head. It's definitely a skill set and it's a skill set separate from, You know, learning how to shoot. And truly, honestly, the Ohio, um, the state that I'm from, the Ohio, you know, law enforcement firearms instructor school was just that. It was a basic operator's course. It was how to operate a pistol, how to operate a shotgun, how to operate a revolver, patrol rifle, submachine gun, fully automatic, you know, weapon. It's like, I got all this while I was in the Marine Corps, you know, minus the revolver and whatnot. But like learning all of these things and kind of, you know, coming to, understanding that this is the lowest common denominator. And this lowest common denominator is what is being accepted and being produced to all law enforcement officers. And this is why we have issues with accountability. And it's not just the the officer. I've seen agencies that have very, very healthy training budgets who have officers that are just looking and hungry, and they're wanting to train that 1% of their job. You know, they want to be the best there is at, you know, shooting their pistol because it's their lifeline. It's their first line of defense out that's lethal. And they want to be good at it. Why? Because look at the times that we're in. You have to be accountable with that weapon system, regardless if it's 1%, a half a percent or 0.0001% of your job. You have to be accountable with every round you send down range. So I really wanted to build my business around being able to pro- provide value to those individuals who who sought it out. And I realized very quickly that you know, law enforcement officers were not going to be my only clientele. A lot of civilians take this way more serious than any military active duty veteran or law enforcement active duty or veteran. So to be honest, man, I, I was like kind of captivated by this and I did not, I definitely under, underestimated the civilian population around firearms. I 100% <laughs> did. I didn't realize how amazing shooters there are as civilians. I was like, you know, I'm getting out. I was a scout sniper in the Marine Corps. I'm God's gift to green earth with uh, you know, shooting. Let's uh let's go run a you know competition. So I did this prior to me coming up with Achilles Seal Tactical. When I got out, I ran a shooting competition and I had a 16 year old beat me. In a rifle and pistol, you know, two gun match. And I was, I just was flabbergasted. I had no idea how this kid was just whizzing around the course and getting all A zone hits and, you know, knocking out all the steel. I was just like, okay, I've been shooting. I have, you know, three deployments under my belt and I've trained foreign and domestic militaries. I don't understand how this kid is so good at what he does. (laughs) And then I looked at the, the you know, the conducive nature of both environments and I said, he's 16 years old. He's not even legally old enough to own a firearm but he's been around firearms his whole life and he's been able to have fun in the respect of the seven fundamentals and the respect of the firearm safety rules and i'm like well if you respect that you don't have to be fuddish and execute and just repeating it repeating it repeating it and holding people back you also don't have to build it through pain because pain retains in the military, you know, you don't have you basically I I learned that the conducive learning environment that he was produced by having fun with firearms is what made him so good at shooting. And at that moment, I said, you know what, I need to do a self check, I need to exploit my own weakness here. And my weakness right now, when I stepped into that match was my ego, you know, coming out of the military thinking I was God's green earth. you know, and shooting was was dead wrong. And I kind of realized that in that moment that, there's more people like me. And when I got into law enforcement, I realized very quickly how much, you know, that's, that's, that attitude or that mentality of law enforcement officers, just because they've carried a gun for 21 years, they think they're God's gift to green earth because they get a perfect qualification on an auto qual or the state qualification. I look at them. I'm like, you really think you have 12 seconds to do that drill? 12 seconds. Like let's go and start a part timer and just sit here and have a conversation. You could probably drink your coffee in 12 seconds. Like it's, you don't have that kind of time. So that's kind of where I saw it. I wanted to exploit weakness and Achilles heel tactical. That's how it came. So the Achilles heel of me was, you know, my ego, my pride. So swallowing that really quick, right at the beginning of my career, getting into law enforcement it was very important for my development and maturity. It's not just a young instructor in the industry, but also, you know, a young police officer who figured, you know, hey, I can hack this because I was a, you know, military veteran. There's no way anything's any harder. Well, there's a lot of things that are mentally draining and mentally exhausting. And then the, the different stress that come with law enforcement outside of the military.
0: Okay. <clears throat> so I was taking notes as you were talking, because there was yeah. a ton of wicked information in there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it back a little bit. So for someone kind of what I feel like I heard that I, from you, what I feel like I heard for someone coming out of the military and potentially looking at law enforcement, right? You had initially said, no, not interested, that cop job sucks, not going to do it. You took the leap and you said the, the thing that you really learned the most out of that, right, was um, look at the role, kind of not with rose colored glasses, understand that there's a difference in the, the politics and the actions between military life and law enforcement, life, Right. Life. So mm-hmm. for yeah. you, the biggest thing that I feel like you said you learned was in military, you have speed, surprise, violence of action. Whereas in law enforcement, everything is not quite opposite, but used much more judiciously. Was that something that was difficult for you to learn? Or was that something that you felt was taught and you're like, okay, great. I get it now. And I can move
1: forward better yeah so i actually when i went through the cqb school in the marine corps i met in law enforcement when i went to swat school in law enforcement i met the guy who wrote the the marine corps doctrine on speed surprise violence of action when i met him i you know the first thing he tells you is obviously his past credentials and accolades and i'm like oh boy here we go and then he said he was charged with coming up with a doctrine For the Marine Corps on the CQB schoolhouse and how Marines were going to now go overseas and fight in a CQB environment. He came up with these three things, speed, surprise, violence of action. He was an instructor in my SWAT school. And when he had said this, I was like very taken back because I'm like, I literally have that pamphlet in a trunk somewhere in my basement. I said, I need to get this out. And I was just thinking this. And as I'm thinking this, he says, that was the biggest mistake of my career. And I was like, holy shit, like, where is this going? You know, and I, at that moment found out how humbling a mistake can be because he was tasked with coming up with a doctrine because he was prior military, current law enforcement, and he was coming up with SWAT doctrine and all kinds of other CQB doctrine. the Marine Corps went out and and asked him and tasked him with coming up with this doctrine to keep Marines alive as well as, you know, defeat the enemy. Um, Well, he came out with this, you know, doctrine that got a lot of Marines and other service members killed. And when he said that was the biggest mistake of his life coming out with that doctrine or taking on that responsibility, it was so like, oh my gosh, it was like sobering. The whole room went quiet. And it was like, I was expecting like him to get choked up. It was that, that like serious and i think maybe because he knew who i was and probably knew my background and when he was giving that out that he kind of spent an extra time not apologizing but saying you know you live and die by the words you speak today and those words don't just stop there so your teachings and what you teach today could haunt you later in life and i was seeing the product of that right there in front of me and when he said you know that was the biggest mistake of my life why because they did not test it it was a you need to come up with this doctrine that's going to defeat the enemy at all costs it was not to prevent loss of life it was not to it was not built on the principles of saving lives it was built on the principles of being violent and defeating an enemy different theaters obviously here in Conus, in in the states we have you know different laws and we have different Criminals and whatnot. But for him to say that, that was kind of very humbling as an instructor who has 30 years on me. You know, when he said that, that was kind of very eye opening to me that I need to be very careful of what I put or plant into people's heads. And it wasn't, I at that moment told myself, I am never teaching tactics, regardless of Achilles heel tactical. Understand that the tactical side of health is branding, it's marketing. It's not, I do not teach tactics. I don't teach tactical shooting. Shooting is just shooting. The seven fundamentals are applied, whether you're in a house trying to serve a search warrant, you're in a, you know, a house trying to kill the bad guy. Seven fundamentals always apply. Shooting is just shooting. Or you're out in a USPSA environment, you're shooting a competition with JJ It doesn't matter. They're always going to apply. And that's why we've come up with the principle of shooting is just shooting. We don't wrap or marry ourselves to one type of shooting. And there's benefits to the studies of both um, with like the competition being like, hey, there is no cold start. You're going straight into this and how you produce or how you perform is going to show you where you are and how much you need to train you know, more or what you need to work on. And I always found it fascinating with in competition that these guys were able to pick things up so fast and just get so Good around these things. and then the guys from the military and law enforcement were much slower or much uh, underdeveloped. But when they come from the military and they come from law enforcement, the experience that they have is invaluable. and they don't understand that, but there's a place in shooting for it, and it's not the actual seven fundamentals of executing around without you know disrupting the sites to go to where it's intended to go. It's actually understanding the environment, relating to it, taking the data, upon previous data on previous engagement or what we like to say data on previous experience by previous experience being your that's the tactic side of house like hey I've been in this environment before I've I know what this environment can produce as far as threats I know what this in a more advantageous approach could be you know that's where the tactic side of house come and I really, really wanted to design my, my training company around just teaching fundamentals and then relating those fundamentals around the experiences that I, you know, myself and my cadre have. So being able to produce, you know, precision rifle courses and being able to produce vehicle tactics courses is very, you know, viable to all walks of life, whether you're law enforcement officer, military, military veteran, or, you know, civilian, we all get in a car every day. We are all able to carry a firearm. We're fortunate enough to, you know, have a first line of defense on us at all times, whether that's concealed or open, you know, we we have that um, ability and we need to be accountable with that ability. That charge of responsibility can become a very, very awful lawsuit. It can be a very, you know, stressful time in your life if you fall unaccountable of that responsibility. So, well, like Travis Haley says, you know, when he gets guys, he's like, Hey, you know, I just bought a gun. What should I do now? It's like, man, your first thing you should do is not buy a gun. Your first thing you should do is understand the responsibility of gun ownership and understanding the responsibility and the accountability level that you have to now have and prepare for. So it's not just go out, buy a $500 gun and then go buy, you know, a couple boxes of ammo and you're accountable. It's go do that. And then now you need to go train. Now you need to study and become a practitioner. It's a martial art. Talking with a lot of martial artists it's and having the background in the military and understanding the discipline, the discipline that you instill in yourself and the discipline that you train on the range, that's what produces your accuracy. Discipline produces accuracy. The repetition of that discipline, if it's a sound discipline based upon the fundamentals and data will then produce you speed. Speed and accuracy is the name of the game. If I can be fast and I can be accurate, I can be and and be accountable with both. Then that's the that's the speed in which I need to go. That's the way I need to be training. I shouldn't be just, you know, tactical Timmy on the range and going and buying tons of guns and tons of kit to then to then just go and take one course a year and say I'm being accountable. That's, you know, a lot of people's issue is And I get it with this year being such a weird year and last year, you know, leading up to it with all this craziness, but ammo is expensive, but there think of all the thousands of rounds you spent in a ridiculous manner, whether that was literally just, you know, from doing build drills after build drills, after build drills, which is not a ridiculous thing. There's definitely an understanding of of, uh, refinement that can come from those but from doing mag dumps with your boys and your friends and stuff like that, I have nothing against mag dumps. It's a tradition at ORD, but you know, just all the ridiculous stuff you did back then that was based off of absolutely no principle now that you're being held accountable financially because supply and demand in business, you know, now it's like for all the marbles, every time you get out, every time you go and train needs to be for in a disciplined manner so that you are holding yourself accountable, not just you know, your time, which is worth a ton, Your finance, you know, your financial stability, which can become cumbersome if you're just blowing tons of ammo, Um, but also the sustainability of your skill set. You know, you can become very, very good over a duration of time. If you build it off of discipline, you're going to become sloppy and somewhat fast if you're just trying to do it for the gram.
0: (laughs) I can, I can relate to that recently. I mean, over the past couple of years, I've definitely had a hard time going to the range just to go to the range. You know, over time, you know, I've gotten to the point where it's like, hey, if I'm going to go, I'm going to work on these three things because I can't afford not to. And uh, there's no point in doing anything other. So let's maybe shift a little bit into uh, starting Achilles heel. You know, you had mentioned wanting to kind of cover how you came into it, starting it. You have no formal education, like you said, on how to really start, function, manage, own, operate a business. Right. I see you're shaking your head, man. So if you want, yeah. you know, can we go down that route? What how did Absolutely. you start it? what did you learn? And what do what do you feel like we need to know to to be successful if we wanted to go our own route? Yes. I'm gonna listen yeah. because I'm I've got this podcast and I'm like, okay, hey, if I want to take it somewhere, I need to learn how to do this. So I'm all in. Yeah, age. yeah.
1: Dude, so business is a is a an amazing, you know, thing. When I started the business, I literally started, I was like, how to start a business in Ohio. You know, Google told me what I needed, the steps I needed to take. I followed those steps and, uh, you know, started a website, plug and play. I was like, whatever. I didn't really know exactly how to grow a business, how to sustain a business, what taxes were going to come at the end of the year, what it was going to be like, the ongoing stresses. So I wanted to diversify myself as much as possible. You know, instead of being an instructor that teaches and educates and provides value into people's lives, Um, That may save their lives someday. There's definitely some continued education that I need to be able to go and go for myself out to take a, take part of, but I was really kind of drawn towards, you know, what makes most businesses successful. And I, I became kind of infatuated with entrepreneurship and understanding that this, this passion that I have, as long as it is my passion you know, and I built my business around a passion, then I can sustain forever because I'm just literally living my life and doing what I love for a living. And I never really understood that phrase. You know, people say, um, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I really never understood that phrase because, you know, in the military, I did what I loved. I loved what I did. And there was still misery and there was still suck and there was still whatever. And, um, but I did it with the, you know, the guys that that I that I love they were my brothers so it was it was a weird mix you know it wasn't like it was yours it, but it was yours it was your team but daddy's marine corps and that's kind of where I was like turned off you know what I mean so when looking at going like the SF route Marsoc or going you know trying to become a green beret or something like that I was like regardless of where I go I'm gonna have a daddy telling me where to go where to sleep where to eat when to be and I'm like that's that's good. There's service. You know, I did that. I, I did my, I did my time and, you know, now I need to commit to being able to produce and be there for my family. So that was the biggest thing right there was I need to make sure that what I'm doing is sustainable and it's what I love to do so that I can find this pursuit of passion that I, you know, literally just wake up every day doing what I love. And I realized, you know, very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to risk it all having a wife and two kids. So when I got into law enforcement, I was like, I guess I'll just open a bank account and I'll open a credit card and I'll start building credit with that, with the business. That way, if I can't pay my credit card bill at that moment, I will, you know, dump into my agency's pay, which is a guaranteed paycheck, just like the military was. And kind of dump into that. So I talked to my wife. We deliberated and we're, we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, she she has confidence in me and what I can do. So we did it and started with opening doing those open range days. And when I started my range days, they were like $40 just to see if I can provide the value to the people that were attending those range days. And then through word of mouth, other people started coming and I started seeing new faces. And then I started, you know, having law enforcement officers show up. And I'm like, Oh, this is pretty cool. So I knew I liked that. And then I was like, you know what, I have come up with this logo. I like this. I like doing what I do. And then I started getting reached out to my sponsors. And my first sponsor, my first sponsor year one of my um, entrepreneurship journey was like, it was action target, action target reached out was like, Hey, you're doing you're, training people indoors at one of our facilities. I was like, yeah, it's actually great American shooting sports up in North Canton, Ohio. Yeah, sure. But you're training, you know, you're training in one of our facilities. I'm like, uh, I don't understand business yet. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, sure. And they're like, we would love to send you targets. I was like, Oh sweet. Cause that's overhead, right? That's right. an overhead cost. So understanding what is my overhead? Well, I am pretty much the, the talent. So what is my overhead? Uh, guns, ammo targets, and whatever else I wanted to dive into really. So I was like, well, this is easy. I can do this. And it's like, you know, a motivational speaker, what's a motivational speakers, you know, overhead, it's like, well, I got a venue cost, I got a range fee, right? I've got a, i have got I have a price per head, or I have a, you know, travel cost, hotel, gas, money, whatever. So I was trying to come up with all these things, not knowing or understanding business at all, but action target had sent me those targets. And I was like, this is so cool. I threw it up on Instagram. I kept doing, you know, photos and video, you know, utilizing my cell phone or utilizing, um, you know, a buddy of mine who had a decent camera. And then I realized that the talent that was coming out to my courses, I started meeting guys that come out that had come out to my courses. And the one was a photographer and I'm like, hey, man, would you want to come to my courses like pro bono? You shoot photos? Because he he asked me prior to a course, he's like, hey, Rick, can I bring my camera out to a course? I'm like, uh, sure. Are you going to be able to train at the same time? He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be on like the second relay or whatever. I was like, okay, sweet. So he brought his camera out. Right then and there, I was like, oh, shoot, dude, this is this is really cool. You captured amazing um, some amazing content. So this would be really, really, you know, viable to produce for Action Target and show them that, hey, we're utilizing the targets they sent me. Still not getting the whole marketing side. So I started posting those, thanking Action Target for bringing them out or sending me these targets and, you know, realized very quickly that I was branding for another business. And instead of branding for another business, I should be self-branding and utilizing the network and infrastructure that I'm starting to build with these sponsorships to produce the dream for me again, not risking at all. So for my biggest thing for guys that are wanting to get out of the military is baby steps and 100% patience. You have to have patience, um, you know, in the scout sniper community, patient suffer, patiently, patiently suffer is a big freaking thing. Big saying in the scout sniper community. So when you talk about patiently suffer,
0: sorry, I have I've got a question when you talk about
1: baby steps, right? So
0: you covered a lot of ground in, mm-hmm. in in that, when you talk about baby steps, right, so talking with your wife, Googling the resources, or Googling the process, right, getting in contact, leveraging people, were you trying to find other resources to help you out along the way? Like, did you call somebody up? Were you ordering books off of Amazon, how to do it, understanding things? Were you just kind of winging it and writing it down as you went?
1: No, so... As far as business goes, I tried to, you know, when I was starting and learning, I was really, like I said, in, earlier in my uh, law enforcement career, was just dedicated to focusing on and understanding and becoming good at that job. That job is, uh, is very difficult. It's not an easy job that's, you know, something you can just pick up after a year or two years. It's, you know, five years, you may understand the job, but you not, might not be good at everything within that job. You'll have your niche. You'll have your thing that you like to do and you like to stick to. And you'll know that niche after you know, two or three years, but you won't be good at it until after at least five. So I was really dedicated to my law enforcement bearing and getting that kind of down. After that, man, I was, you know, the baby step part was just seeing how many, what my overhead was and wanting to get that covered as soon as I possibly could. So targets, action target, you know, sent me out those targets. And when it came springtime, I said, Hey guys, I teach outside you know, not just inside, would you guys send me paper targets and steel targets? Yeah, absolutely. We'll send you what, how many targets do you need? I said, 10 steel targets. That would that should be good. So 10 steel targets and as many paper targets as I need. So I start running these courses in Ohio, all local, um, local in Ohio NPA. And then I go and I'm running courses and then an opportunity for a, you know, sustainable passive income contract comes up. And, you know, I, I land my first contract gig and I'm like, well, this is really cool. Now I get the guaranteed income throughout the year and it's guaranteed training without producing, you know, too much stress into my full-time law enforcement life. And to give you some context on that schedule, my schedule was Monday when, or Monday and Tuesday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'd work five days, 12 hour shifts with a Wednesday Thursday off and then the next week I would work Wednesday Thursday and one of those days was an 8-hour day and then have a weekend off so every every weekend that was open which two weekends a month sometimes sometimes three I would have you know to schedule you know these courses so I'd schedule one a month and it went from one a month to two a month and as action target and I were starting to gain traction I was able to provide enough value via be a word of mouth and social media traffic people were able to find me quite seamlessly. And I ended up reaching out to an ammo company and ICC ammo had picked me up as my second sponsor. So ICC started sending me ammunition action target, had my targets covered. And that was, that was my overhead in a nutshell, man, other than gas to get there and a flight, which came next, right. Cause I then went from Ohio all the way out to California. Um, that was a big leap, a big jump. And but there's a huge community, you know, more guns are sold in California in in one year than the entire rest of the 48, 49. So I saw that there was a market out in California and a guy, a mutual friend who was also an instructor who was doing it part-time had said, yeah, man, crash at my place. We'll post your course up. We'll fill it for you. And it filled, you know, very seamlessly. I I got to meet some people. The, The word started traveling and spreading. And, um, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty awesome experience going over there, seeing that for the first time, coming back and like, now where, now where do I go? Well, how do I fit these, you know, different things into my schedule and how do I learn business along the way? Cause currently I'm just like affording a hobby and then doing, providing a service. That's really what I was doing for maybe, you know, for the first year. And then I was like, Hey, I'm going to come up with my own swag line, just like literally a t-shirt that has the logo on it. And then I came up with his hats and, and whatever. So that was just promotional swag, which is another diversifying income. And I'm just kind of, again, like you said, trial, trial and error. And I had no risk involved. And that was super cool because I was basically all the money that I was getting through the business was hobby, spending money and and whatever. And then tax season came by after the first year. And I realized, hey, we have to structure and we have to have this said structure and write-offs and whatnot. So year two comes around with, for Achilles heel tactical and I, I meet a guy who comes to my uh, class. He's like, Hey, I'm a collegiate baseball player. I realize I'm not going pro due to an injury that I have. And I'm, I'm just newly married and I want to be able to protect my wife and someday my kids. I was like, well, I respect that. I definitely relate to that. So he comes out to a carving one course and um, we're running the carving course and he's picking up everything I'm putting down and providing value. And he starts coming to every course and just becoming a, a student and a practitioner of the skill set. And I really see leaps and bounds of change and, and progression with him. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, what I'm teaching is, is really providing this guy a lot of value. He's not just, you know, picking it up. He's picking it up and developing himself by being a diagnosing, you know, self-diagnosing shooter. Like I'm producing a ton of value for this guy. And, you know, this is kind of the proof in the pudding. I asked him what he does. And he's like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an accountant for NASA now. I'm like, well, that's pretty sweet. Cause that's I know random. nothing about finance. I was like, I know nothing about finance. So I asked him, I said, you know what? I think it was the end of year two. I had asked and I said, Hey man, would you come on to Achilles Hill tactical and just kind of pro bono, I'll give you training. Um, you provide me some kind of guidance with what to do with my money and, you know, help me with taxes at the end of the year. Cause I mean, I, I am going to get myself in trouble to be yeah. honest. Black so Parks. he's like, yeah, he's like, absolutely, man. So we, we picked it up and ran with it. And, uh, that was when I started really picking up hitting California, Texas, Utah, cause action target has law enforcement training camp, LETC, L E T C let's see. And, um, they asked me year one, they were like, oh, you're in law enforcement too. I said, yeah, absolutely. Would you want to come out and instruct federal agents, SWAT officers, and firearms instructors at our annual thing out here? I said, absolutely. All expense paid, flew, flew, you out, flew me out there and paid for my time being there and my services and then flew me back. I was like, this is, this is freaking cool. So I've done that for the last four years now. And it's um, been an awesome thing, awesome relationship with Action Target. And I never forgot about them being my first sponsor. I've always held true to the ones that, you know, supported me early in my game. So ammo's covered, target's covered. I'm going from California, Utah, Texas, Florida, PA, New York. I'm hitting all these different states. I'm like, this is, this is really picking up. And my work started noticing, hey, <laughs> it's starting to pick up. And I said, yeah, I'm taxed. And I was working nights that I remember, you know, year three, I was working nights, my entire law enforcement career working nights. So 12, 12 P or 12, yeah, 12 P to 12, or I'm sorry, 6 P to 6 A. So working 6 P to 6 A, I had, uh, you know, I would wake up, take, you know, drink a cup of coffee. I would go to work, or I'm sorry, wake up, drink a cup of coffee, hang out with the kids a little bit. Then I would go straight down, you know, to the uh, PD gym. I'd work out go on shift for 12 hours and probably two 30, 3, three o'clock at night, just to stay proactive or awake, I down an energy drink. Energy drinks were very common in the Marine Corps. We, I remember in the desert, we would drink rippets mixed with Jack 3d or C4 and we <laughs> shotgun it just to stay awake and, or to get a good workout or whatever. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I don't know how I can, how long I can sustain this. Well, it kept up and the habit kept with me with, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps into law enforcement. Um, so I work and take an energy drink throughout the night. And then that next morning, jump on a flight to California to go do, you know, training throughout the day. So I was running nocturnal and then, you know, running my business during the day, cop by night, entrepreneur by day, firearms instructor by day, and then flying back to then go right back to work. And that was not sustainable. I didn't realize this until after three years of day in and day out of abuse with, you know, my contracts with training, you know, law enforcement officers, uh, you know, schools and whatnot, all the way down to, you know, the private citizen. Um, I didn't realize the amount of of abuse that I was putting on my body. And I remember I scheduled a gunfighter fitness course. It was the first time this course has ever been kind of, I built the curriculum for it was really excited about it, linked up and networked with a gym, realized that I was pretty good at networking and networked with a gym to provide all the equipment for it on the range, uh, at a local range up in Amherst, Ohio at Nazi and, uh, August, or I'm sorry, October 12th of 2020 or 2019. Yeah. August 12th of 2019. Um, I was running that course, and it started like we got there at like four a.m. to set up, and we're set up. Course started at seven. Ran the course from seven to eleven thirty. I remember having my sixteen ounce, you know, Red Bull in the morning, and I was like feeling great. And I remember, ha- you know, at eleven thirty in the course, after I demoed a, you know, an exercise, and then a, you know, shooting uh, demonstration, I felt this like weird, you know, dull aching pain in my left arm and in my in my chest. And I was like, that's freaking weird. Maybe I pulled something. I am doing, you know, this course for the full, the first time and I was going full go, so why not? You know, it's probably just something I did and it just would not go away. And then at lunch, um, somebody had convinced me, they were like, maybe it's a heart attack. And I'm like, dude, I was 28 at the time. I was like, there's no way it's a heart attack. And they're like, dude, I, young guys have heart attacks all the time. Guys, you know, 30 year olds drop dead at, you know, at the end of a marathon, with widowmaker heart attacks all the time, you should get it checked out. So I had sent the class away. I was too prideful at that moment to do that in front of people who paid for my services at my course. So they had. Um, I w- I didn't even want the range to see it. I told the uh, the guy to tell the ambulance to meet me at the Dollar General down the road, and we went to the Dollar General, met the ambulance there like a drug deal and uh I got in the back of the ambulance and they put the EKG on me and they were like yeah it's coming back normal but we would like to get you in for some tests if you're having that kind of pain. I was like no 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 it's not necessary it's it's just uh it's just a pulled muscle then because if it's not this it's definitely that. Too young to have that shit and they had said that it was going to take like 2 or 3 or 4 hours to get those tests done and I was like nope I'm running a course guys flew from you know flew in and drove all the way from Illinois and some from, uh, you know, Virginia to, to come here. I'm not gonna, you know, drop this course. Anyway, the, uh, course ended around 4:30. I continued to demo things, but I kept just hold my arm and hold it above my head. And I kept feeling that dull aching pain in my brachial artery underneath my bicep and tricep, and then coming into my left chest. And then I started feeling nauseous and I'm like, okay, pulled muscles don't make you feel nauseous. This is just weird. So I was like, maybe it's the Chipotle I ate at lunch. I don't know, but damn, I am struggling. Like I'm in so much pain right now. So I I told my guys, hey, we got to wrap it up early. I brought everyone in. I said, hey guys, you know, thanks for coming out to the course. I think something seriously is wrong with me. And I'm going to ask your cooperation and help to clean up this range and load everything back up into my trailer. So me and my forerunner, my trailer can get all the way home and I can, you know, tell my wife she needs to take me to the hospital. So I'm an hour and a half away from home and they get me loaded up. I head out. I remember driving with my arm pinned against the door because the the pain was just so excruciating. I remember begging to God. I was like, give me a sign. Do I need like, what is going on? What is wrong with me? I've never been in this kind of pain in my life. And um, uh, I remember being, I was running out of gas on E and the light was on and I was just flying like 95 down the turnpike. And I'm like, just pulling this trailer. This trailer just going everywhere in the road. I'm just swerving in and out of traffic. And then I, um, I see the exit I need to get off to pay my toll and it says gas. And then the next sign says level three trauma center next. Right. And I was like, that's my sign. I got to go. And so I asked the toll guy, I was like, where's the nearest hospital? He's like that way, five minutes. That way I go fill up on gas, go to the ER parking lot, walk myself in the ER. I'm like, Hey, I'm having a heart attack she's like, okay, come back with me. Like nonchalant hooks me up to EKG. It says I'm fine. I'm like, listen, lady, I've already done this. This is, this happened five hours ago. I need somebody like I'm having a heart attack. All right, well, we'll just sit you out in the waiting room. And then somebody right with you. I'm like, Oh my God, what did I do? Where did I come? And uh, luckily I got back. Um, I remember pacing in the, in the waiting room, which what felt like 20, 30 minutes I'm sure it was much shorter, but I was just so much pain walking like a zombie and nobody was in the waiting room. And I just laid down on the floor and just was like, what the fuck? If you're not going to help me, then I'm, I guess I'll just lay here. I was, you know, in order to get her attention, I guess, I don't know, but I remember laying on the floor and she was like, all right, honey, we got to get you back there. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Like we didn't just, (laughs) you didn't just watch me over your you know glasses pace back and forth in front of you in, in excruciating pain. So they gave me, um, some anti-inflammatory steroid and, and the pain was gone. I'm like, thank God. It was just, you know, it was just that it was a pulled muscle. And I remember calling my way, you know, to the hospital, I was calling my wife. I'm like telling you need to get the kids ready. You got to take me to the hospital. And Oh my gosh. She was like, you're crazy. Go to the freaking hospital out there. I'm like, no, my trailer, my guns, everything that matters is in here. And uh, everything that's yeah, not something you tell your your wife, everything that matters is in Oh, here. right. Right. And she's like, she's like, just go to the hospital out there. So I went to the hospital. Um, you know, they took my, they took labs and sent my, they took troponin levels and my troponin level. My cardiologist was like, Hey man, I usually get pretty worried when my you know 78 year old patients are at like a four, you're at an eight right now. And it's, it's climbing. And I'm like, well, shit. Well, th- he's like, when did this happen? 1130. He's like, it's six thirty right now. I said, "Yeah, I know." And he's like, "We need to get basically did an echocardiogram, confirmed what he thought that I was having a massive heart attack, and uh, got me back. Did an echo card or a, a heart cath and removed the blockage out of my LAD. I had a hundred percent occlusion of my LAD, and then um, they had to go back in again to stent my heart. And it's they they don't have a cause. They don't have you know there's it's, it's some rare form of." Plaque that only formed in my LED is what they is what they were giving me. The hematology report came back normal. Lipid panel came back normal. Like everything was just weird, but you know whatever it it happened. I learned a lot from it. One being my wife puts up you know, these little you know those uh, little signs up on your your counters and stuff. And it, it, I remember it saying um, treat every day like it's your last. I remember looking at that be, before leaving. And I remember laying in that bed, signing my life away to, you know, whether or not, you know, basically signing over, you know, everything to my wife, if I was to die during this procedure, because they were asking, or it, they said, basically, you could stroke out, you could have a seizure, you could do this, you could do all that while having this procedure. And I remember just wanting one thing. And I wanted my kids, I wanted to see my kids one more time. I was so like distraught at like that fact that I wasn't going to be able to see my kids before going back there to have this procedure done. And it, it really brought in, you know, huge res- retrospect. I, you know, heard a speaker say, um, a healthy man wants everything in the world and is never content, but the sick man wants one thing and one thing only. And I was like, damn, that is 100% the way I was feeling that day is like, you know, I want the world when I'm healthy. And then I literally only wanted that one thing. And that was to see my kids before that procedure. So year and a half later, you know, here we are. My heart is finally back to normal. Everything's been, you know, Gucci so far and the business has blown up. Prior to the heart attack, I had started a few community-based training events based off of guys that have said, Hey, you know, I've known this guy on Instagram. We've been talking forever. Would you host a range day for us? And I was like, sure, why not? So I hosted this range day at my local range and I had a local sponsor, Neomag come out And Greg from Neomag was like, Hey dude, this was awesome. You need to do this, but on a larger scale with a lot more companies. And I was like, yeah, I I think I can do that with, you know, I love talking with companies. I love to show them and hopefully be able to produce and bring what I had at like OTOA shot show and, you know, action target let's see and all these other conferences and training events. I can bring it everything that I've taken away from a little bit of everything or all of these conferences and and events to one location. So I was like, yeah, we'll do this, but what do we call it? Now let's call it Ohio range day. I'm like, okay, sweet. So we'll call it that we'll bring, you know, we'll, we'll do these applications. We'll do it right. We'll build this awesome administrative footprint. I'll reach out to all these companies and say, Hey, come out this year. You know, it's the first year we're doing it. We just want to provide a ton of value to the attendees and show that you, your companies give a shit. And these companies came out and uh, it was an awesome first year. Lots of great, you know, traditions and memories were made. Um, guys, even from international IDF, Israeli Defense Force guy came all the way out from Israel at that time in 2019 to come out to this. And, um, you know, it was just it was something really, really special that one day. And I remember hearing one of the attendees say, I wish this could you know, be two days long, or the biggest critique we took away from our surveys was, could we make this two days? So the next year, 2020, we made it two days. We made it two days and we brought in even more companies with adding more, you know, trainers and more tradition. This year, we're bringing in five different instructors from Philip Vallejo out near you uh, over in Wyoming down to, you know, Donovan at one Tactics, myself, Ian Strombeck, Rune Nation, and Joe Farewell you know, bringing those guys out with 100 attendees. So we went from 25 dudes at a local range with, you know, one, one sponsor that basically sponsored pizza to a larger, <laughs> larger facility, larger range that could, you know, run this and make it very successful. You know, we had over 28 sponsors and uh, 50 attendees. Then the next year we did two days over 20, I think it was like 28 or 27 sponsors the next year, but two days long. And that was wildly successful. Now this year we're blowing it out of the water. We're doing, it's uh, 100 attendees. We have over 30 some sponsors. We have helicopters coming in. We've got, I and mean, I'm just blowing it up. And how I've come up with what I wanted within this business model was where and how much value can I provide, you know in the end my consumer's lives. And what, you know, with this ability that I have to network and talk to these companies, and you know, show them the ROI that I can produce through my KPI. Like being able to show and talk their lingo, and talk to marketers, and then talk to CEOs, and then get those guys to then provide product. You know, Everly Stock providing product, or um, Safari Land providing product, or being there and actually showing these attendees and giving them the experience that I've had. But I am. A, able to have, because at OTOA, it's the largest tactical officers association in in the world. You have to be in law enforcement to do that. Well, there's some really bomb ass companies and bomb ass trainers that go out to OTOA and to that, you know, training at SHOT Show. You have to be in the industry or else you can't go anymore. NRA and and everything else in between, like not everyone can chunk out or you're not providing enough value for everyone to want to take part in. And I'm just trying to give Or utilize my networking ability to provide value to my consumer base, all while marketing my own brand. Because regardless of where, regardless of wherever or whoever you heard it from or whoever you train with that day, you're gonna leave with Achilles Seal Tactical in your mouth. You know, one way or another, whether it's, you know, you see me or whether you know that we host this and we put this all together, whether it was the waiver you signed, the direct email that I sent you it's been a pretty humbling experience to see it all come together and be a big staple in in what we do. But it was just one, it was just one time a year. It was one big mammoth event. And I was like, no, we gotta, we gotta meet the mark and make, you know, I've got to come up with something else. So we came up, I came up with RXRD. I was like, I want another range day, same footprint, but I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to impact other people's lives. So, you know, we came up with RXRD RX range day, And that's the range day your doctor prescribed you, man. It's the, you know, (laughs) that's where we went and we took it from Ohio to California and for Q3 and Q4, it's a quarterly range day that we take everywhere and anywhere we want. And we can deliver it to a certain demographic. We can deliver it to a certain brand. You know, I really realized, you know, how to benefit the brands and the companies that support me by producing these kinds of events and giving them a captive audience that's, that I vetted as a viable audience for their brand. So it's been a pretty awesome experience, but as far as business goes, dude, especially getting out of the military, it was network, network, network. I learned that in the military, right? It was self-awareness and learning how did the Marine Corps captivate me to join it? Okay. What, you know, the bullshit, you know, cards that the recruiter gave me those actually, you know, the pride of belonging. That's a thing you know, Mm -hmm. that's a real thing. And it's like, wait, if I create all of these little communities, these pockets of communities, which is what I was doing at a micro scale on, you know, with my courses going and traveling and running these courses, um, I can only meet and affect so many lives. But if I run these community-based training events, I create a long-lasting community that's always talking about me. And I'm like, well, or my company. It might not be me directly. It might be, hey, Achilles Hill tactical is doing this. And that's all that I needed to now reach a new cons- a new uh, subscriber or a new customer. And that's what I realized very quickly that the Marine Corps gave me the networking ability. Law enforcement gave me the, the ability to go out there and put myself out there and be comfortable with talking to people because you know, this backwards you know, society that we have where people will tweet about it before they confront another individual or the next thing we know, they're next thing they're, we know they're boxing. It's like, wait, what? Like you were a YouTuber and now you're in a, a ring with you know, Mayweather. <laughs> like just because you tweeted that Mayweather suck. Like, are you, what society are we living in? Like you would never have had a chance to get in front of Mayweather and talk, but now understanding where I study business is outside the realm of this industry. Like I do not look at, I'm looking at the tech industry and what other industries are doing to meet their consumers. And that's what I'm trying to do and bring and execute on in this industry. And I think for some, it's like, wow, this is groundbreaking, but honestly, we're always behind a certain industry. And if I stay one industry ahead of this industry, I think I'm going to continue to be successful. But with law enforcement, man, I met drug dealers, I met you know, criminals, I learned how to talk to the, you know, these people and gain a sense of comfort around talking with them because I gained confidence. And by talking with them and getting comfortable And being able to have that level of confidence, I was able to get prosecution and I was able to put bad people way behind bars, or I was able to, you know, get convictions out of it and understanding that, you know, I wasn't being doing nothing. I wasn't doing anything shady. It was just literally talking with people, being super level-headed and being confident within the environment that I currently was in was helping me think at a higher brain level. So I was always one step ahead of the other guy. And that's, you know, they would usually fall right into a trap understanding. And I, I fell in love in law enforcement. I fell in love with criminal behavior, studying the criminal, criminal mind and criminal behavior was infatuating for me because it was like, this directly produces to business. Because if I can study and when I'm having a conversation with a guy that I want to, you know, do a business deal with, or want to work with, it's helping me. Criminal indicators are a certain type, but human behavior is human behavior. Like I am just self-aware of how I would react in the situation. Basically have the conversation with yourself in the mirror and see your reactions or think about it and think about how you would react. If that, this was being approached to you, you can almost, if you rehearse it right, like on your way to the meeting or on your way to the interview, you're going to stay one at you one step in front of the other guy because you're rehearsing it and you're able to think about how you would react or the indicators or the gestures or the human behavior that you would put off or give off the vibes that you would give off in that meeting. I've been in, incredibly, you know, successful with it, but also just absolutely infatuated with it, you know, relating the criminal side to the business side.
0: So I'm hearing a couple key takeaways from all of this. One sustainability. If you're going to start it, make sure that you can maintain it, keep yourself healthy. Got Networ- yep. Networking sounds like for you was something you learned pretty early on and really did shape where you're at now. So being able to communicate, connect with folks, connect other folks with other folks to grow your brand and the industry. Um, I wrote down self-recognition, mostly I think in terms of being able to provide value. So knowing who you are and what it is that you can do in order to really separate yourself from the rest of the pack. Being uncomfortable in a good way. So saying, okay, great. I've never done this before. I feel like I need to grow here let me learn how, take a chance and get after it. And then really looking ahead and saying, okay, what's that next step? There's somebody out there doing it better than me. How are they doing it? So that way, when I get to that point, I can outpace them.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. The, you know, the military for military veterans getting out, instead of wasting a four years of your life, trying to figure out what you want to do, even if you don't know what you want to do, go do some self-assessment, look at what you love to do. And then diversify yourself around that passion. Um so if your passion is skateboarding and you want to become or let's if your passion is I don't know, let's do something outside the realm of the sport, graphic design. Yeah, sure. Like hey, you know, the entire time, you know, at boot camp, you were the recruit that made the DI's hat or, you know, you came up with all your your companies or your platoon or your team shirts and you did the design for it and you're good at that it's like well you can go to college for that you absolutely could and i would you know suggest you do right away so that when you do decide hey i'm going to start my own graphic design company or get into digital marketing and creation and stuff like that like you're not risking it all right you're going you're utilizing the gi bill while you're in school you're learning you know the ins and outs of graphic design but you already if you have a passion for it you've kind of already dabbled at it just like for me, man, it was like, well, I've you know, taught junior Marines. I've taught, you know, my peers. I've taught foreign militaries how to shoot um, long distance, or I've taught them to shoot a rifle, a pistol, a precision rifle. I think I can do this to the civilian. And I, if, you know, I take those same techniques and the experience that I had, the things that I learned about, you know, how to deliver the information with an interpreter, without an interpreter, I think I'll be in the ballpark once you're in the ballpark, man, you're going to develop yourself. You're going to become a practitioner of the, and you know, the mentoring and the teacher. It takes time to learn how to teach something. You can be an amazing shooter and absolutely suck at teaching it. And, or the time management of teaching that that concept or fundamental or the deliver. you know, you're not, you suck at delivering and your presentation is awful or you apply or assume too much knowledge, right? It, so right away, you're like, and then we're going straight into your, you give a 50 cent version of how to do a reload. And it's like, well, these guys have literally never taken the magazine out, dude, you have to slow down. out, you have to, you have to know your audience. And that was a big deal for me was, you know, getting out and learning all of these things, because, you know, the time management, how to fit, you know, all of, you know, what I had into a four hour clinic for 40 bucks, just to see if I like this, you know, this thing uh, called instructing was like that was very, very difficult. I remember getting through a couple drills and I was like, and through a couple teaching concepts and I was like, Oh my God, we're out of time. Like that was, that went really quick. And I, I had, you know, I had wrote everything down prior to, and I had like two pages and we got through a quarter of it. And I'm like, wow, I overshot that one, but it was, it's, if it's what you love, it's, you know, you can always use it later in life. Um, but yeah, the college route, man, it just like, if you're going to, If you're going to do it, diversify yourself or start building a network. Find somebody, find an industry that you like. If you like graphic design and cars, holy shit, like you're going to make really, really good money. And why? Because you could probably just go and find anybody who's wrapping cars to learn how they built their business, work for them. You could even say, hey, can I intern with you for free? I'm going to college for this. Or you could say, hey, I'm looking to start a Graphic design, you know, vehicle wrapping business. And I really want to learn how you got your start. Never be afraid to get that no, man. It costs nothing. It literally costs nothing uh, to get a no. Like if you would have reached out to me about this podcast, you would have got a no. Well, it costs nothing.
0: Mr. Rick Crawley, everyone from Achilles Heel Tactical. Uh, I hope you all got some great information out of him today Uh, to summarize a few talking points that I feel like I learned. Uh, Number one, diversify yourself around a passion, learn from different industries, and make friends throughout. There is no point to silo yourself into something without learning uh, as much as you can from varying industries, varying folks, and uh, growing yourself as much as you can. Uh, Number two, network. It's okay to talk to people, something I'm learning, right? Make friends throughout everywhere you go and uh, further develop yourself, your community, and help create new opportunities, not only for yourself, but as you network, hopefully connecting other people too, to create uh, more opportunities for those around you. Uh, Number three, take care of yourself and don't stay stagnant. Push yourself and grow as best as you can, wherever you can, and every opportunity you can find. Uh, I want to give Rick a huge shout out. There was quite a bit of additional offline conversation we had. And uh, you know, in all transparency, he was the individual that inspired me to start the Musings of a Madman segment uh, that I hope you were all tuning into, getting some good information out of, and uh, enjoying some of the random topics and shenanigans we're getting into. Uh, With that being said, Rick's contact info is linked in the episode description. Be sure to check him out on Instagram at Achilles underscore tactics and their website AchillesHeelTactical.com. Uh, beyond that, please like, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Then go pick up some Vanguard and Madman swag linked in the episode description. Uh, I'd love to see you all there representing uh, the show what we're all about and you know seeing, uh, seeing what kind of shenanigans you guys are finding yourself into. Uh, feel free to tag me on Instagram as well. I'll link that in the episode description. Uh, otherwise, you all have a great day and uh, we'll catch you next time. Hey guys, it's Erica Austin's wife. I don't know about you, but when Austin and I are on the road, we are quick to get hungry and hate getting greasy food. We typically put off getting food, which often leads to Austin getting hangry, annoying, and more obnoxious than normal. This ends with us having to stop and get something before he randomly goes missing. With that being said, Mountain Primal fuel sticks are the prime candidate to curb the hunger, stave off him being an asshole, and give me a reason to shove a meat stick down his throat. Use Vanguard for 15% off mountainprimal.com.